Welcome back to the British Food History Podcast, folks. As I'm sure you know by now, my name is Dr. Neil Buttery. Today, I am talking with chef and food writer and food ambassador, Rachel Green, about the traditional food of Lincolnshire. But before that, a very short message. Hello, this is Tom Dinas, the host of the Delicious Legacy podcast, a podcast all about food and history. As fans of the British food history, I know you have a bottomless appetite for all dusty recipes, unknown herbs, mysterious spices, and long-lost ingredients. So, why don't you join me? You can find the Delicious Legacy podcast wherever you listen to quality podcasts, such as the British food history, and also on Twitter and Instagram. And now back to your regular program. I love cooking regional food, and I suppose being from Yorkshire, stroke north of England, I've tended to focus upon foods that are from that region. Now in the last postbag edition, people did ask about other regional foods, so I thought I would like to do an episode about the food from a county whose traditions are not really that really well known. And I have turned to the county of Lincolnshire. Those not familiar with the geography of England, it's a long county stretching down the east coast of England. Now my geography is terrible, but luckily for us, Rachel explains the geography of the county and where it sits in the country. So why Lincolnshire, you might ask? Nobody mentioned the county when they wrote in. Well, I did have a reason. Now, as you may or may not know, the whole reason I've got into all this writing, podcasting and chefing malarkey is because of the book English Food by Jane Grigson. In 2007, I decided to cook all of the recipes in that book. And from cooking those recipes, my interest in traditional foods, cooking techniques, and in food history can all be traced back to cooking through the book. Now that was 15 and a half years ago. <laughs> and I still have not cooked them all. That blog became Neil Cooks Grigson, a book that contains 450 recipes, and I have cooked 445 of them. One of the strugglers is a Lincolnshire speciality called stuffed chine, sometimes Lincolnshire chine. It's only available from that county. It's quite a drive from Manchester. So, well, I guess it's laziness really that I never got round to cooking it. But I decided I would cook it. And after researching, I thought I'd look into the other foods from that county and found that there are several specialities associated with Lincolnshire. Some are familiar, others are not. So I thought, well, let's do a podcast episode about it. Well, I managed to find somebody who not only knew about stuffed chines, but everything about Lincolnshire food, farming and agriculture. Chef Rachel Green. Rachel is a chef, author, TV presenter, demonstrator, food campaigner, and passionate ambassador of British produce, especially that from Lincolnshire. She comes from 14 generations of Lincolnshire farmers, so if anything, she's overqualified. Before we crack on, don't forget the postbag edition is coming up. Now this chat today is very much driven by food memories. You all know by now that this is something I'm very interested in. So, listen to what Rachel says. Does she fire off any memories for you? That might be because you've spent time in Lincolnshire, but it might be because you live in a county or region that has a similar food. Or it might be that you're in a county or region in the British Isles that you feel is ignored or underappreciated from the point of view of traditional food. So I'd like to know. Email me, neil at britishfoodhistory.com or send me a DM on Twitter 
at Neil Buttery or Insta, that's Dr. Underscore Neil Underscore Buttery. I'll of course be posting on social media that this episode's out, so if you like, you could just leave a message on the thread. Or you can go on the brand new British Food of History Facebook discussion page, which can be found at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash British Food History. Now I thought this would be the last episode proper before the postback edition, but I'm actually going to squeeze in one more episode because, drum roll please, my new book has a publication date of the 28th of February. It is called Before Mrs. Beaton, Elizabeth Raffold, England's most influential housekeeper. It's about the 18th century cook, entrepreneur, and general overachiever, and ex-household name, Elizabeth Raffold. It's not just about her life, but it's about her times too, I suppose, as well as her legacy. Anyway, there's gonna be an episode about her coming up after this one, and then it's gonna be the postbag edition. The book is available to pre-order wherever you get your books, I did notice that on the Pen and Sword History website, they've got an early bird discount for 25%. So maybe have a look at that. You can also, of course, get my previous book, A Dark History of Sugar, there too. Also, so there's a lot of news before. I know some people don't care, but well, so's not so's. Also, it's almost Lent. So here's a quick heads up to anyone who's never listened to season one of the podcast. It was actually a series I did with Bina Katani, who at the time was working with Sonda Radio. It looks at the journey people went on during Lent, and that's their food journey, not their spiritual one. It was really fun to make, and there's some great guests on that too. The idea is that you listen to an episode throughout every Sunday of Lent. Though the first episode begins just before Lent, so it should be listened to this Sunday, 19th of February, the weekend before Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday. Have a listen, the link's in the show notes. Right, one more thing before we start, and we're gonna shut up soon, honest. A really big thank you to everyone who has been listening and downloading, because the podcast has been climbing the charts higher than it has done before, and in so many countries than it has before. So thanks to all who spread the word, who's reviewed, who's followed, and thanks to everyone who's either donated or set up a three pound monthly subscription. I salute you. Actually, one more thank you, and that's to Orlando Murrin, who, when I reached out to social media for someone who might know about Lincolnshire food, it was he who put me in touch with this week's fantastic guest, Rachel Green. Thank you very much, Orlando. Okay, I spoke to Rachel in her home in the beautiful Lincolnshire countryside about, of course, Lincolnshire chine, but also Grimsby Haddock, the importance of pigs, Hazlet, not Hazlitt as I thought it was pronounced, Lincolnshire poached cheese, plum bread, which contains no plums, and savoury duck, which contains no duck, and much more. And she's so knowledgeable and has such fascinating and unique memories, I think you're really going to love this episode, but also I think you're going to want to seek out some of the food. Now, Rachel mentioned several producers and local businesses, so if you're in the UK, you might want to hunt them out. I've included their websites in the show notes along with links to other things we discussed. For example, Lincolnshire curly-coated pigs. I'll be back to tell you about this episode's Easter eggs. But here we go, the traditional food of Lincolnshire with Rachel Green. Thank you very much, Rachel, for inviting me to your beautiful home here in Lincolnshire. Oh, thank you so much. No, thank you for coming down. You know, we always like visitors in Lincolnshire, and particularly because it's quite a remote county, And it's not somewhere you'd necessarily just pop into for any reason. So people tend to come here for a reason. 
Mm, I've come on holidays as a child several times on the coast. Did you wet where? Every weekend we'd be camping and caravanning as a kid. So, or well, I mean, I suppose it would be, now my geography is terrible, but it would be places like Skegness. Sutton-on-Sea. Sutton-on-Sea. Great Yarmouth. No, that that's not that that's that's Norfolk. No, no, no. You're, <laughs> but funny enough, it it takes a long time to get from the top of this county, which is the Humber Bridge, basically, mm-hmm. all the way down to near Peterborough. So it's mm-hmm. a long walk, and that's yeah. what the Vikings did. The Viking did Way starts not exactly quite sure, but you know you walk over the literally the Humber Bridge, mm. and. The Viking Way is literally at the bottom of the road where I live. Mm. And it goes all the way down to sort of Peterborough. So lots of historical things happen or have happened in Lincolnshire. Mm. We see my geography, as you've just heard, is terrible. And I always think of Lincolnshire as a northern county. It is. And I guess it is. But it really does go very, very south. Yes, it does. And so really, well, we say north and south of the county. That's how we would describe it. Is there a north-south divide within the county? Things do happen slightly differently in the south than they do Mm. to the north, because it is quite a a long way. So I would say about the coastline as well, it's a a really important coastline as well. Obviously, we've got Grimsby, which is a historical port. The coastline, I have a particular, like you, particular fondness for that. Yes. Cleethorpes, Cleethorpes, yes. Mablethorpe, Sutton-on-Sea. Mm-hmm. And we have a beach hut at a place called Sandylands, which is next to us Sutton-on-Sea. And it literally is great big, long, sandy beaches. And the great thing about Lincolnshire is the big skies because there isn't a lot of light pollution and it's massive. Also, it's particularly down in the sort of fens and that you can just see for miles and miles. And mm. particularly when the sky's really blue, it just hits you really yes yeah and so when i go to other counties mm-hmm. i noticed i always feel quite closed in oh okay which sounds a bit <laughs> sort of strange mm-hmm. but Is it, would you say it's a, a rural county yes in so general? Def- definitely a rural county yes it's got it's a r- rural industry uh, obviously a lot of agriculture 25 mm-hmm. percent of the food that's grown in the uk is grown in lincolnshire oh really but also wow. it's got a massive distribution centre, obviously, a lot of 24-7 down in the south where the vegetables go into the London market. So mm-hmm. there's lots of logistics as well, a lot of logistic companies, packing companies, flowers, obviously, food and agriculture. Yeah, mm. And also the fishing, so the, the fishing side. I suppose if you're going to ask people what the famous fishing ports were, you, I guess they'd talk about, well, Devon Cornwall and all that kind of bit. You might say Whit- might say Whitby. Oh, you definitely you say your, Whitby. If you knew your stuff. You'd definitely say Whitby for, for, well, I for would crabs say, I would lobster. say Grimsby, but that's because it's not too far from where I grew up. But I reckon, yeah, would would most people list Grimsby? Because it's, it's really, really important fishing yeah. port, isn't it? In its heyday, we obviously have Grimsby Smoked Haddock, which is registered as a, the geographical status of mm-hmm. Grimsby. And the Smoked Haddock, true Smoked Haddock, Grimsby smoked haddock obviously has to come from Grimsby, and that's very famous here. And they they produce tons of it. That's not quite pale golden fish. It's the non-dyed <laughs> yeah. smoked haddock. See, I grew up with a bright orange 
Which is false, false dyes, just flavourings <laughs> and horrible. dyes. Yeah, yes. And I, yes, I, I discovered Grimsby haddock, and yes. it's a completely different food. It's, it's amazing. It's the most amazing food, mm. and I have a, a very good friend who produces incredible smoked salmon as well. It's Enderby's smoked haddock and smoked salmon. And um, funny, he's called Pat Salmon, who owns it, Pat and Tony Salmon. Um, <laughs> and their smoked salmon goes to some of the best hotels in the UK and to all of us who are lucky enough to consume it but it's it's the most incredible smoked salmon once you've had that you won't want anything else the smoked haddock that I obviously buy by box boxfuls for, for, <laughs> for work mm-hmm. just really long pieces of undyed smoked haddock has that smoky mm. wonderful smell and it's done in the smokehouses there and when you go there it's just it's a fascinating fascinating experience just to see the process and Every night they'll go up the chimneys and hang the haddocks in pairs on the way down, slightly brined, pre pre brined, because obviously the smoke has to, it has to be brined so the smoke can attach to the food. And oh, they go. Okay. That's why you brine food before mm. you smoke it. And then you they hang them up, they climb up and hang them up till they get to the bottom. And then they light the, the so it's cold smoked. Obviously a small a small and, and overnight it's smoked. When you go inside, is it a case where the inside's just black. covered in like a black lacquer? Yes, yeah. Yeah, Incredible. fantastic. So, and it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. And it's it's a great traditional industry. Mm. So, yes, I'm very for Grimsby and all that happens. Good. And obviously we have Youngs there and lots of other people. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a good place. So what else is Lincolnshire famous for when it comes to um, farming and, and produce? I guess pigs? Uh, pigs, yes. Obviously, that's massive. Mm-hmm. We have some great pig producers in Lincolnshire. Potatoes, we grow peas as well, mm-hmm. freezing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Obviously, wheat, barley, uh, rapeseed, and lots of other things. So, And obviously, we've got Lincoln Red cattle. So that's a native breed to this county. I've heard of those, but I don't know much about them. Well, they did crop up a little bit when I was researching for our chat today. Um, well, it's are a, they still they still exist? Or oh they, yeah, do oh, they? yes, yes, very much so. And they've, they've had a bit of a revival, really. They are an incredible. When I say red, they are a beautiful, deep, coppery red color. Mm. Really beautiful, almost slightly burgundy, really, mm-hmm. but not quite. They've got that sheen of copper, mm. and they are used primarily for beef, but they were used in the war as. Um, a jewel, this is quite unusual, jewel purpose. So you could actually milk them and oh. they produce beef. Yeah, because that's now, not that's something that's, that's very ha- not unusual. happened in hundreds no. of years, no. really, has it? Yeah. So okay. that's why we have a we have a famous ice cream company called Dennett's Ice Cream. And many years ago, Rob Dennett's grandfather or great grandfather, it would be, in the war when milk was short, mm. he milk some of them and produces sort of famous ice cream called Dennett's ice cream so and Rob told me that story so I hope it's true I'm <laughs> sure it is uh, but they are primarily known and they are a slow they've slow produced slowly reared and they put down this incredible marbling mm-hmm. throughout throughout that's the so important isn't it when it comes to uh, yes, especially roasting absolutely. they are beautiful it's a really beautiful meat and a quite big beast as well so there's a few um, Lincolnshire specialities made with beef, isn't there? Potted, potted, yes, potted hoof. beef. Yes, you could call it call it that. Yes, potted <laughs> hoof or 
Potted beef is, is like, yeah, okay. it's really slowly cooked and it's got uh, things like, um, what do I put in mine? Allspice, bay. I make my own. I can't think of the recipe off the top of my head, but it's slightly spiced sort mm-hmm. of meat cooked very, very slowly and then shredded. And then, ah, okay. Uh, yeah. And you, they, they sell them in butchers. What part of the animals that come from? Is that a specific it's bit? It's more the sort of shin type. Ah, you know, okay. So they're really, kind of, really slow cooked then. Yeah, really, really slow cooked. Yeah. 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 And it was I'm a way of obviously using the meat but my father used to make beef sausages as well and they're quite they're i don't think i've ever had a beef sausage beef sausages are fabulous if they're yeah. properly made really mm. lovely well my grand my, my grandmother used to make beef sausages they're absolutely fantastic wonderful with horseradish out the garden a little bit of horseradish and a beef sausage mm. absolutely glorious but really we are a lot of our kind of cultural traditional foods in the in lincolnshire are based around the pig Yes. I think that's why we're here today, really, isn't it? I guess so, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're going to ask anybody, name a Lincolnshire food, number one is going to be a Lincolnshire sausage. Absolutely. I would, I would say. Yes. The best well, sausages in the world. Of course. I shall not argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many different kinds, though. You know, everybody has their... That's what I love about sort of traditional, handcrafted, I don't know what the right word is, but food, is that... Everybody has an opinion on it. Everybody has their own take on it. And everybody you speak to will go, well, I always go there for my sausages or I always go there for my sausages or whatever it might be. And everybody has their own favourite butcher or type of sausage. Yeah, I love that kind of thing because you might say, well, Lincolnshire is the best sausage of all the English sausages. Then within Lincolnshire, there's a divide probably. And then within that divide, there's another divide. There is. (laughs) with the, talk about the minutiae differences between the different sausages. Till, the minutiae is really diff- yeah. really important yeah, in the, sausage yeah. making. Well, so. the devil's in the detail with pretty much anything. If you, if you want to make something well, yeah. you know, you have to have thought about it. And that's probably the secret ingredient, really, isn't yes. it? <laughs> and untraditional uh, recipes and recipes that have been handed down as well. Same with making pork pies. Again, that's a, a very personal preference on, on how, you like, how you like a pork pie or a sausage or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I... Personally, like them quite peppery. Good. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I like pepper. them with a bit of sort of force, and I like them with plenty of sage in them. Yeah, I guess that's the one thing you've got to have in a Lincolnshire sausage. Sage, would you say? sage and white pepper. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so many people are sort of used to fairly innocuous, boring type sausages, aren't they? Quite hard as well. I like a sausage that I like to see the individual bits of meat as well and fat because if you look at no, a sausage, me too. you should be able to see the fat. Yes, it shouldn't be, be homogenous. Absolutely, that's a great Alarm. word, Neil. Oh. I love that word. <laughs> Alarm bell should ring if your sausage is homogenous. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I'm going to remember that every time I have a sausage now, uh, but it shouldn't do, should it? I mean, no. I've judged sausages in my time. Mm. Well or not well, I don't know, but um, I know what I like, and I don't like to see it all kind of solid and no it has to have some texture to it texture is always good in food i mean i guess it's also a hint to you when you're eating it that they're using a quality meat because it's also not hiding anything because that's obviously the problem the suspicion people have around sausages and sausage making again it's homogenous because it's it's for a reason they've probably got all all sorts of and also it doesn't want to be 100 percent meat either it wants to have some rusk in it as well well if you want plenty of fat and you want a nice juicy sausage you've got to have you've got to have the rusk in it and the water as well so uh it's a fine balance isn't it between getting it right and knowing what you like but I was talking the other day to somebody and they said that actually a sausage at 40% meat can be, 40% meat can be called a sausage. 
it's 40% or 41% right. or something. I was oh, shocked. 5%. Oh, yeah, if it's below that, it's got to be called a banger. Yeah. Or something. There's some stupid law. Yeah, there is some. There is something, isn't there? Well, it probably would explode, but that's what they used to do, and that's why they were called bangers, wasn't it, in the mm. war, when there was so much water and other substances in the sausages because they didn't have the, the meat, mm. uh, they would explode. And that's why people say, should you prick your sausages, not prick them? Well, yeah. I don't prick mine. If you eat good sausages, don't prick them. I don't prick my sausages because no. I'd rather have a sausage once a fortnight than I would buy really cheap sausages. So, mm-hmm. And they're, always, they're nice and filling a good sausage. If you make something yourself, first of all, the, the portions are better. Yeah. Second, you can make it taste exactly how you want it to taste. And the problem with bought stuff is yes. they can't put that much sage in because a lot of people don't really want it to taste of anything. They probably put water in it. They put other yeah. things in it. So all they've got is salt and sugar and water to add to it. So it's just going to be rubbish. Absolutely. It's best just to make it yourself from scratch. Don't cut any corners. Yes, that's true. And you're going to have a simple meal that is going to fill you up. But interestingly, as a child, my parents used to keep pigs. Mm. Because they used to have and eat the swill, basically. So it was the sort of leftovers and the house, some of the household waste. And, and you're not allowed to do that anymore. No. But that's how, how it was. And the pigs were always absolutely amazing. So what we would do, we would obviously feed the pigs up. And they would be fed on other good sub things as well, not, not just, just that. And they would be well looked after. And then obviously they would be slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And we would have a day of what my mother used to say and my grandmother would come as well. And it would be called putting the pig away. <laughs> the meat would come back from from the uh, butcher because the abattoir was behind the butcher's shop in that, oh, those good. days. Mm-hmm. And it would come back and it would all be laid on greaseproof paper on the table. Mm-hmm. So there would be everything there. So the, we would start off and daddy would insist that we had the pig's brains for breakfast I love with brains. A, I love them. Yeah. With a fried egg, nothing would be really wasted because in a pig, you it's only only the squeak that you can't That's left out. eat. Yeah. <laughs> so we would have those, and then everything else would be processed into what was what worked for us as a family. So sure. we would have we would cure uh, hams, mm-hmm. and we I remember them hanging up on the ham hocks in uh, cloth bags, mm-hmm. and we would. Brawn would be made from the head, so that Delicious. would be boiled and, and we would make brawn. Sausages, things would be divided up into joints. I'm just trying to think, savoury duck, which is something else. I don't know what savoury duck is. Well, <laughs> I am tr- I have never seen savoury duck around here for a long time. There must mm. be somebody in Lincolnshire does it. But I remember I used to go into Market Raisin when I, came, when I finished school. And we used to go into an old shop, an old kind of... Well, it would be a sort of one of the first supermarkets. I sound really old here, but it was a sort of, it was a family run shop, really, mm. grocery shop mm. called Cottingham's. And they would sell these little tiny balls that looked like sausage meat, but they would be in a cowl. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, should called, expl- we should explain what that is for people. Yeah, you explain what that it's, is then. Um, it's like a lacy fat, isn't the it? Lining. I, which I think, yeah, does it cover the intestines and kind of yes. protect them? And the it's lining like of the it's beautiful. It's beautiful to look at, it I is. think. It is. But it's good to wrap things up. Yeah, so it, it was it kind wrapped. It them, doesn't it? Yeah. It keeps them together. So it was, it was little balls of 
um, this meat. And it was very savoury. I had quite a lot. I remember having quite a lot of onion in it mm. and sausage meat. So it was sausage meat, onion, loads of sage. So it's um, kind of like what, like a meatloafy, faggoty? Kind of, yeah, a little kind of meatloafy thing. thing. But it was, wasn't like the other Lincolnshire delicacy, which is hazlet. No, I love it. Yeah. Although I say Hazlitt. They used to sell it at the supermarket. You get it in Yorkshire. Yeah. And it might not be the same stuff. Hazlitt is another thing they make out of um, sort of sausage meat. Mm-hmm. And meat. it's like, again, it's like a round meatloaf. It looks like looks like a hedgehog without spikes, doesn't it? <laughs> of the <laughs> yeah, bits. It it's sort of, you know, the round bit of hedgehog. Sure. And you mean that and cold? It's more of a cold We have it cold, cold though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really lovely. Well, you can have it hot, though. It's really lovely fried oh. for breakfast. Right. A lot of people don't, don't maybe do that. We, but we used to make um, black pudding. And then, of course, the Lovely. real speciality out of it all, which was the big treat for all of us, was the Lincolnshire chine. Yes. Now, I'm particularly interested in Lincolnshire chine. Yes. Because it looks fantastic and it looks delicious. Come back to that moment. But the other thing that came out of the pigs, traditionally mm. in Lincolnshire, was plenty of lard. And that is why we make something also that is quite, which is very unique to, well, totally unique to our county. Mm. And that's plum bread. Yes. Now, there's lots of competition of who makes the best plum bread as oh, well. I bet there a is. bit like the sausages. You know? <laughs> so there's lots of wonderful plum bread makers or bakers who make it in Lincolnshire. So I, I love plum bread. It doesn't have plums in it, but it's like a sort of currenty, sultanery sort of loaf, really. Mm-hmm, that sounds good. Like a, lard, is, like a lardy cake. I've had lardy cake before. No, it's not like lardy not cake. Like, no, no, it's not like lardy cake. Okay. Um, it's more like a bread, really. Mm. Uh, it's difficult. Like a loaf. Like a tea loaf. Like a tea bread oh, okay. type, type thing, I yeah. suppose you would yeah. say. So that, they used to use the, re- the, use the rest over, leftover lard with mm. that. In Yorkshire cookery, there's a lot of lard, mm. tea cakes. Like to- for the toasty, toasting made, made oh with lard. Oh my God, I love a toasted tea cake. And so much better if you make them with lard. Oh, I think I know. people are coming back, I think, to lard a little bit, but yes. a lot of people still fear it. I think years ago, though, it didn't matter if you ate lard because you weren't really eating processed food, were you? No, that's true. So things, you know, perhaps if you eat a lot of processed food and then you eat a lot of food with lard in, that's probably where the concern comes. Yes, I suppose so, yes. There's Does nothing wrong sense? with Yes, there's nothing wrong with it per se, but it yes, it depends on what your diet is generally. Yeah. If it's a... A treat every now and again, you're all right. Absolutely, absolutely. And we always eat plum bread with cheese. Yes. So and that's a Yorkshire thing. That, yeah. Because I always have my apple pie with cheese because that's how it's brought up. Yeah, fruitcake with cheese. Absolutely. It's very good. Somebody phoned me up to ask me about that because they didn't, a radio station, a local radio station, because they didn't believe it could be a thing. Like it was like some kind of weird well, food. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> It's not weird. I'll tell you what I do, and my grandfather did. I always have marmalade with my sausages. Do you? Now, you have got to try, Neil, you have got to try sausages with marmalade. It's like proper Oxford bitter Seville yes, homemade, marmalade. Yes, homemade Seville yeah. marmalade. I've got, I've got one jar. sorry. I've got Seville. one jar left of my homemade marmalade. I've got fact, one, and, and it's, so. it's, it's marmalade time. Of course, in Lincolnshire now, we eat our plum bread with our Lincolnshire poacher cheese which is made by friends of mine, Tim and Simon Jones. It's definitely, in my, I would say, top three favourite UK cheeses. Yeah. I, I never like to pick a favourite because they move around, don't they? It depends on your mood. But yeah. I absolutely, absolutely love it. It's well, a fantastic cheese. Tim is my cheesemonger, basically, for, for my business. So mm. I always ask his advice on what he thinks would be good for this, that and the other. And I buy all my cheese from him. Mm-hmm. 
But obviously the other cheese we're very passionate about is Coat Hill Blue as well. Have you ever heard that? I've not heard of that one, no. Well, it's Mary and Michael Davenport. They milk and they produce food directly next to the milking parlour. And uh, the cheese next wow. to the Wow, so parlor. that really is a proper cottage industry. It's yeah, so all like Simon self-contained. So when you yeah. go there, basically it's piped in from the milking parlour to the cheese room. And it's traditionally made cheeses. It's Well, I might be wrong here. Um, it's unpasteurised milk. It's raw milk going in there, making a traditional cheese. Like a li- it's, it's a living thing, Yeah, it's thing, a living cheese. It? It's not yeah. like some supermarket yeah. plastic cheese. Oh, God, no, no. Absolutely not. No. You know, my family farmed for generations in Lincolnshire, so it's always really important for me to support the industry. And that's what I've always tried to do. Stand up and shout about how great food is. But I bought you a little treat, actually. Well, yes, I'm excited I haven't about this. it for you. I got it for you. And mm-hmm. do you want some more tea? Oh, yeah, I'll have a little top. Oh, we're, we're having a, a nice pot of, of. Do you want me to put some water in that? Are you all right? No. 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 We're having <laughs> a pot of tea, aren't we, Neil, while we're talking about this? Yeah. So here we have something that my butcher, Nick, bought me. And he it's dry cured. Whoa. It's the chine. That's quite a hefty thing. That's a pretty big wow. piece of meat, isn't oh. it? So chine, that usually means something to do with a back. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. So so basically years ago, they would cut something called the christening chine. Christening so chine. That's what my grandfather always used to call it. And right. basically it was a very specific part. It was a chine cut of the meat. And I think I need to ask Nick my butcher exactly where that bit came from but mm-hmm. generally now mm-hmm. they tend to use the shoulders now this is a piece from uh it's a gloucester old spot good hence, hence the good layer of fat massive of... layer of lovely mm-hmm. fat gauge there he has cured it mm-hmm. it's unrolled it's flat and then you're going to do six slashes mm-hmm. along here mm-hmm. in equal right the way down to about there, mm-hmm. so it opens it out. Okay. You're then going to chop your parsley if you're going to use fresh parsley, but they mm-hmm. tend to use dried parsley these days. Okay. Um, I'm going to go fresh, I but reckon. I would prefer fresh because it it makes a real difference. But you're going to need a lot of parsley. Okay. And you're going to chop it, and then you're going to stuff the slits, mm-hmm. and then you're going to tie it up, and then you're actually going to either bake it now, how we used to do it at home, we used to make a flour and water dough. Mm. My grandma and my mum would roll it out mm. and you then wrap the chine totally in the in the dough, make sure there's no holes, mm-hmm. and then you bake it in the oven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's quite difficult. I'll have to I'll have to look up my grandma's recipe book and give you the times for that. Oh, okay. But quite a long time, obviously. Yeah. But you have cut it, so that will help the cooking process. Yeah. Or you could put it into a bag, a roasting bag, mm-hmm. or some people boil it. Yes, that's that's what I seem to have read. Well, I read yeah. Jane Grigson's recipe, yes. actually, from English and she food. Would boil, and she would boil <clears> it. She's just boiling it and yeah. putting... She's just parsley. I think she said um, a few other things. I think she says leek and raspberry leaves. Have you ever heard of that? No. That might be a, her little spin on it. I don't think I'd like raspberry leaves in it. No. Leek so. would be nice, but mm. traditionally we just It's just parsley. Yeah. Okay, good to know. Yeah. And so you then obviously let it go cold, and if you've done it in the, in the dough, you obviously split that out. Mm-hmm. 
We used to check it out for the birds. <laughs> and then you you let it set. And obviously when you're carving it, you carve it along the way. Do you know what where this has come from, this technique of cutting? Is it just lost? Lost in time? Because it's, it's definitely a unique thing, isn't it? I don't know, actually. Mm. I don't know. I've got a... I wonder if Mrs. Beaton did it. Maybe. Her recipe is probably in her. I've got the original book. Mrs. Beaton's. Have you? Yeah. Shall we see if it's in there? Is it oh, to hand? Hold on a minute. I'll just go and get All it. All right, yeah, let's have a look. Just in, let's have a little look. I've got a love-hate relationship with Mrs. Beaton, I have to say. Do you? Yeah. Why we'll, is that? We won't go... <laughs> okay, maybe we will go into it. Um, well, there was a lot of recipe stealing. I think, oh, did she steal hmm. a lot of recipes? Yeah, um... Do you know um, Eliza Acton's book, Oh, yes, yeah. Modern Cookery. 35% of Eliza Acton's recipes are in Mrs. Beaton's book. Rude. Still happens today. Isn't it? It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I guess it's hard to um, copyright a recipe. <laughs> it's very difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, people have takes on a recipe. So, technically, they can write it, can't they? I mean, you know, you see in books, people write things. Oh, it's like, a tricky one. Here we go. We've got bacon. We've got pork here. Brawn. Now, there's yes. a great recipe for brawn in here. That yeah, was... I've made brawn a couple of times. It's yeah, and fun... that's the cloves. Now, the cloves are also in the potted potted beef as well. That's the important flavour, yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's have a look. I bet it isn't in here. No, I don't know. It doesn't look like she she did. The, the only book I've... I mean, I haven't looked at every single book or anything, but the only book I found it in is, is in Jane Grigson's English Food. So, yeah, then sausages. Do you know what I think? Ancient savoury ducks, you see? It's there. And it is actually a dish popular in Lancashire and Yorkshire. No way. And it says savoury ducks, in brackets, sea faggots. So it was oh, a sort so of like a, kind a faggot, but we used to have it cold. Mm-hmm. By the way, listeners in America... The word faggot in England is a kind of meatball. It's a completely and utterly <laughs> it's not different the word you're thinking. Just yes, thought I'd mention that. So there you go. Right. I wasn't so making it up. I'm Neil. fairly sure. I never thought for a second you would make, <laughs> make a thing. Actually, talking about, you said this was um, Gloucester Old Spot. That's but, what Nicola, Nicholas said to me, as in my butcher. But back in the day, and I don't know how long ago this was, I think it was an almost extinct breed. Isn't there a Lincolnshire... Uh, yeah, the Lincolnshire curly-coated pig. Curly-coated pig. It isn't extinct, yeah. It's, it was extinct, yeah. Um, have they managed to somehow it's all to, bring it back? It's all back? related to the Mangalitsa. So um, there's some, there is some people who are reintroducing that. But it's, I think it went... It, there's pictures of it in the Lincolnshire showground, the old Lincolnshire showground sort of suites where the chairman and the president okay. have their meetings. Mm-hmm. And I think it extinct in 62 or 63 1962 okay so yes faggots sometimes called savory ducks well who knew well you well there we go well there we go (laughs) a good old mrs b she sort of seems to but no sign of chine in there whatsoever no chine so yeah so we my father we would eat it with sprinkled with caster sugar and malt vinegar Right. Now, this is the thing. Now, wherever I've read it, I did a little bit of research, and people say it's a acquired taste. It is an acquired taste. But I think, well, hang on. What's needs to be acquired? It's cured pork, which we all eat all around the country. Yes. It's parsley, probably the most popular herb in the country. Yeah. It's like, what's, uh, what needs to be acquired there? But is it... Some people absolutely hate it. And some really? Some people love it, yeah. Oh, okay. 
What's their reason? Because it seems like it sounds like it would be pretty hearty, inoffensive almost. It is an acquired taste. I would I would agree with that. Um, I've sort of been brought up on it. Yeah. So and we always had it at special occasions. Always my grandfather's birthday in May. Mm -hmm. But I think the reason it was called the China, the christening China, it was a celebratory thing. So when everybody, when it was the sort of days of service, when people were in service, they were sort of went home to their families on Maybank holiday weekends, mm-hmm. the sort of May Day type type thing. Mm-hmm. And they would go home to their families and their families to celebrate would do a chine. So right. it was sort of celebratory. It was a celebratory dish known as a sort of celebration chine or mm-hmm. it could be for a special occasion like a christening. So I don't know why it, it was always called the christening chine. I can see my grandfather carving it now. So it was absolutely fantastic. It really was. I don't often eat china, I have to say. I do love it when mm-hmm. I eat it. Oh, sorry, I must have done before. So you're, but you're, I like you're, it with sugar and... Sugar and vinegar. Yeah. Slightly sweet and sour. Mm-hmm. The vinegar, definitely. And when, I mean, mint sauce is sugar and vinegar. And yeah. So, that's, so you got parsley instead of... Yeah. Mint. I could see how that yeah. would work. That's how I was brought up. But the other way of eat, really eating it in a very nice sort of way. And I once saw chine on a london restaurant menu it was in the sort of late 80s and i thought god that's unusual yeah that's brave Never isn't it? very brave mm. and they say served it with like a pickled leek like a mustard leek so oh, yeah. leeks pickled sort of pickled in with a, in like a mustard vinaigrette oh i see i think i'd fancy that mm-hmm. would you i definitely would um, well i mean Anything mustardy with pork yes. is always a good idea. But uh, there, that would introduce your leek bit to it. That, that oh right, yes, of course, yeah, yeah. But I like the idea of the of the, the pickled leeks with the mustard vinaigrette. Whilst we're talking about pork products, yes, I've I have heard of pigs fry. We always have pig fry pigs fry once a week at home. It's the shoulder or the okay. bits you would braise within. Yeah. Mum always sometimes put a bit of belly in because Daddy liked a bit of fat. Mm-hmm. And kidney and liver. And you'd make a big casserole out of it. And you can imagine the liver and the kidney just make this hugely rich gravy. And we would have it with um, like a cream potato, like a bit like a rumbledy thump, you know, with a cream yeah. potato yeah. and cabbage. Lovely. And it would be absolutely incredible. And again, we would have, we always, I'm a great mustard lover because we'd always have the, be lots of pots of mustard on the table and... My mother would make her own mustard sometimes. Coleman's was always mixed from from right, fresh, fresh, proper, yeah. proper mustard. Yeah, made made my, mustard, as my as my father would say, proper mustard. Mm-hmm. So yes, and that's a tradition that's been slightly lost, which is a shame. But there is nothing like really proper mustard just made, is there? Especially if you've got block sinuses. I mean, you only need a little bit of that. <laughs> it's and hard. You're it's, actually, it's, it's Norfolk's <laughs> answer from Coleman's, as in Norfolk. Uh, Norfolk's answer to wasabi, I think. So yes, and um, so pig fry is really an amazing thing. It, mm. it's, and it's uh, sort of slow braised because people think with offal, you got to. Well, it's true. You got to either cook it for very 30, fast. thirty seconds yeah. each side, or go for the slow. Anything yes. in between, and you've got rubber shoe leather or whatever. Yes, actually, yeah, it's more like rubber. Isn't yes, it? <laughs> exactly. But so that's what what, and you can buy that in butchers here now, mm-hmm. just literally in packs. Your average Lincolnshire person. Um, cooks a lot of Lincolnshire food, or is it becoming a little bit of a niche thing, well, we've got would you some, say? We've got some great towns, you know, great sort of, basically Louth, which I was in this morning, which is an amazing uh, town. It's got about six butchers in it. <laughs> and there's a particular butcher there, Lakins. And as I say, people must be cooking it because the pig's fries there 
and they shovel Shovel's it out with a, with a shovel, not mm. quite a shovel, a scoop. <laughs> so, and they make loads of it. I guess the last thing to say, the last thing to say is thank you very much for again inviting me over, and sparing spending some time to talk to me. Um, well, I'm hoping that we can do it again. Yeah, me too. And I hope it's piqued the interest of of listeners, not just in England and the UK, but around the world. Maybe well, to have a go with some of these recipes and hunt them out because they can all be made at home. You can make your Lincolnshire sausage in Texas if you want. But yeah, no, I mean I think we've 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 talked a lot about. Uh, about my my beloved land, as I call it, Lincolnshire. So I lived in London for quite a long time and then came back up here and Mm -hmm. it was good to be home. And it's, you know, I enjoy it. I'm very lucky that I live in such a beautiful place. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you very much for the chine and for the Lincolnshire poacher cheese, which I ate back in Manchester with some plum bread, which just happened to be sold at my local cheesemongers. Anyway, if you want to find out more about Rachel, have a look at her website, rachel-green.co.uk. There's quite a few recipes on there, I noticed. You can also find her on Instagram, rachelgreen.chef. Links are in the show notes. Also in the show notes are links to her two books, Rachel Green's Chatsworth Cookery Book and Sausages, Making the Most of the Great British Sausage, which contains, of course, Lincolnshire sausage content. As I mentioned, there are links to many of the things that we talked about. Now, how did I get on with the stuffed chine? I hear you ask. Spoiler, it was very good. But there will be a blog post appearing on Neil Cooks Grigson the same day that this episode comes out. So there's a link to the blog in the show notes for that. And if you get there, have a look at the 445 other recipes that are on there. Whenever I get to the end of a section or a chapter, I write a little review of it. And on completion of the chai, that means I've done all the cured meat recipes. So I'm going to do a little review of them. I'm such a geek. I'm hoping to get a couple more stragglers ticked off, actually, this year, if possible. So if you go on the website, give me a little follow. Okay, subscribers, there are two Easter eggs. Number one is a rabbit hole we went down regarding fine dining restaurant foods versus good, honest, traditional foods. Number two is a chat about game, something very important in the county of Lincolnshire. As well as game, we talked about the important management that gamekeepers and farmers do in the countryside, the vast majority of which goes on unseen and underappreciated. In fact, I hope to return to this topic in a future episode. I've added it to the big long list. If you are not a subscriber, but would like to become one, or if you'd like to treat me to a virtual pint or coffee, go to the support the blog and podcast tab on the website, britishfoodhistory.com. And yeah, don't forget to contact me with your comments, questions for that upcoming postbag episode. And don't forget to listen to the Lent series of the podcast if you haven't already. Time to go. Have a good week. And I'll be back soon with the next episode of the British Food History Podcast. Cheerio.